Welcome to Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This is class number one, entitled, The Dilemma and the Invitation. So before you study the Book of Mormon, either sequentially or topically, I think you need to start with what I call the dilemma and the invitation. The Book of Mormon has a dilemma. Eight chapters into the book, he begin, the book begins to present that it has a major dilemma. So I want to show you the dilemma. It frustrates me to realize that the Book of Mormon has a dilemma. It's one of the biggest frustrations of my life, the Book of Mormon's dilemma. But then I want to show you that the whole rest of the Book of Mormon is the solution to the dilemma. You are the solution to the dilemma. There is no way the Lord could have sent the Book of Mormon to earth without sending you. You are the solution to the dilemma the Book of Mormon has. And before we jump in and study it, I need to make that very clear. And I need to extend an invitation on behalf of the book. Let me represent the Book of Mormon and extend an invitation to be the solution to the dilemma. That's what the book needs. No way the Lord could have sent the book and been successful if he didn't send you along with it. You are the solution to the dilemma. So let's present that dilemma. Eight chapters in, 1 Nephi chapter 8, Tree of Life. Tree of Life forms a foundation for the whole rest of the book. The themes that come up in the Tree of Life, you will see all throughout the Book of Mormon. So let's talk about the five major images in Lehi's dream. Now, I like to do it like this. Five areas. Now, the main, the main symbol is the tree. First Nephi chapter 8, verse 10, what is the purpose of the tree? To make people happy. It's that simple. The purpose of the tree is to make you happy. Now, Nephi is going to tell us that the tree is the love of God. The love of God will make you happier than anything else. Now, we'll, hopefully we'll come back to the tree of life, but there are nine words. If you combine Lehi, Nephi, and Alma, there are nine words used to describe the fruit of the tree. Sweet, white, you can see a few of them. I think there's four of them right here in chapter 8. Sweet, white, joy, and desirable. But notice what it does every single time. It gives a superlative. The fruit of the tree of life is not just sweet. It is what? Most sweet above all that I had ever tasted. It is white to exceed all the whiteness. I think this is a, a, a light image. The love of God will fill you with greater light and will be sweeter than anything else. It will bring the greatest joy. It is the most desirable. The Book of Mormon stands as a testimony that the love of God is sweeter than anything else. However, there is an imitation. And a lot of people are fooled by the imitation happiness. The imitation is symbolized by the building. 
And that's a major theme of the Book of Mormon, major theme of Scripture. Don't be fooled by the imitation happiness. Just one example. Why do people drink alcohol? If you look at the motives to drink, most of them are because what they really desire is what? The love of God. They really desire the love of God, but they are fooled by an imitation. And that's life. There is the love of God, and then there is an imitation. Now, luckily, Heavenly Father says, let me help you. Well, let's do this one. The one, the, the, another major image of tree of life is the river. Because no one ever really makes it to the, the, the building in the dream, do they? If you are fooled by an imitation, you drowned in the river. And this is the consequences of being fooled. I knew a man, member of our bishopric, he was fooled by an imitation. He looked at his secretary and he forgot about his eternal family and he was fooled. And for the last 10 years, I have watched that family drowned in the river. If you are fooled by an imitation, you will drown in the river. So Heavenly Father says, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me give you a rod. Now look at verse 19. First Nephi chapter 8, verse 19. What are the, th the three purposes of the rod? The rod has three purposes here. Number one, and no one has ever drawn this. You cannot draw all three at the same time. I love that people try, but you cannot draw all three at the same time. So we almost have to separate the three ideas and paint them in separate pictures. What is purpose of the rod number one? It is, it extends along the bank of the river. Why would you put an iron rod in front of a river? It's a barrier, okay? It's not that, oh, let's skip to the tree. It's a barrier. It keeps you out of the river, holding on to the rod. Now watch what this does. This is beautiful. There's no way Joseph Smith wrote this book. Purpose number one is to keep you out of the river. If you hold to the rod, you will never fall into the river. It's not possible. In fact, flip to chapter 15, 1 Nephi 15. Someone read 22 and 23. Let's do this quickly. As Nephi explains the, the tree, someone read 22 and 23. Is it 22 and 23, Abby? And I said unto them, it was representation of the tree. Okay, go to 23 and 24. That's the one. And I said unto them that it was the word of God, and whoso would hearken unto the word of God, and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary and powers overpower them unto blindness, to lead them away to destruction. Neither could. You cannot fall in the river and hold on to the rod. That is an eternal truth. So number one, the rod will keep you out of the river. Now back in 1 Nephi, what's the second? It will lead you to the tree. It will lead you to the tree. Now I'm going to point it to a different one than you think. If it leads you to the tree... What is it really doing? 
it is true. But if it's leading me to the tree, it's helping me distinguish between the true happiness and the imitation. Holding on to the rod will reveal the imitation happinesses that will not make you happy. It will take you to the tree instead of taking you where? So I'm going to point that that he's, he's saying, I'll keep you out of the building. If you hold on to the rod, it will keep you out of the river. If you hold on to the rod, it will make sure you don't end up in the building. And then the third one, it will keep you on the straight and narrow path. Now, what's interesting is Nephi mentions three paths that lead off. Um, maybe we just do that really quickly. Here's one. Verse 28, name a path that came off the, tr- the, f- the straight and narrow. Forbidden path. What's another one? Um, strange roads. First Nephi chapter 11 will mention broad roads. There are a lot of paths off the straight and narrow. But if you hold on to the rod, you will not fall off the path. And if you don't fall off the path, where will you end up? So the Lord says, look, I have a tree that will make you happy. Stay on the path that will get here. Don't be fooled by an imitation because if you do, you're going to fall into a river. And then he says, let me give you a rod. And that rod will prevent you from falling into the river or being fooled and will keep you on the path. Yeah. Subject for another day, the purpose of the rod. But what is the Book of Mormon talking about by talking about the rod? Itself, right? Now, the reason I drew it this way is what goes right here in the middle? There's one more image. The mist of darkness. Now, why do I draw it in the middle? It affects all of these. And that becomes a major theme of the Book of Mormon, blinding you to what? What is this blindness? What is tree blindness? What what does that mean, that it blinds me to the tree? It blinds me to the love of God. Why is it that some people can't see that God loves them? Name a mist. A modern day mist that prevents people from seeing that God loves them. Anxiety, depression, and pain is a major mist. People can't see that God loves them because they're in pain. So that's tree blindness. What's building blindness? Okay, there's an example, but describe it. What is building blindness? Because I could, everyone could see the building. The building wasn't hid. What was hid? What did the mist hide? Yeah, we're going to do that one next. But what part of the building did the mist hide? It was the lack of a foundation. In other words, the building's about to what? Crumble, and you can't see that. So what is building blindness? It's being blind to the danger of the situation. No one would go into a building if you could see the foundation was about to fall apart. But if I hide that danger... I can get you into the building. Can you name another Book of Mormon example of building blindness? Blind to the dangers of the situation. Zenith, 
goes down from the north to the south to dwell among the Lamanites. The king of the Lamanites says, I got a great deal for you. Go take that land and cultivate it. And all of us are screaming out, don't do it. He's going to steal your land. And Zenith was so blind. He wanted it so badly. He did it. He was building blind, right? So in our lives, have you ever wanted something so badly you're blind to the dangers? I've watched people want to be married so badly they're blind to the danger of the person they're marrying. They're building blind. It's a major theme of the gospel and of the Book of Mormon. What's river built blindness? I can't see what? The, the effects, the consequences. If I really made an honest beer commercial, what would I have to show? The consequences. That doesn't sell very much beer. So we hide that. We hide the river. And there's river blindness. Now, what's rod blindness? Tell me what rod blindness is. I can't see the help. And yet, what does the rod do? do you, are you beginning to see the dilemma coming? Rod blindness is I, I've been given a help and I can't see it. I've been given a help and I can't see it. I'm blind to the help. So that's Lehi's version. Now watch how brilliant God is. Nephi comes along and says, I want to understand my dad's dream. Can you tell me the same thing? Now, does the Lord come down and show him a rod and a tree and a building and a river and a mist? He doesn't. What does Heavenly Father do with Nephi? Let me tell you three stories. And you see if you can see the raw. You can see, let's see if you can see the building, or sorry, the tree in each story. That's brilliant teaching. This is what you're looking for, Nephi, in your dad's dream. Now, let me tell you a story. And you tell me if you can find the tree in the story. See if you can find the building in the story. See if you can see the mist and the rod. I'm going to tell you three stories, Nephi, and you find them. Now, why is that so brilliant? If I can find the tree in each of the three stories, where else can I find the tree? In my story. Have you found the tree in your story? Do you know what your mist is? and your building. So the brilliance of the Book of Mormon is, let me tell you three stories. What's story number one? Chapter 11 is story number one. First Nephi chapter 11 is story number one. Tell me what's story number one. Okay, that's the New Testament. Let me tell you the story of the New Testament, which was 600 years in the future for Nephi. Okay, chapter 12 is story number two. Tell me what story number two. That's the Book of Mormon. Let me tell you a brief overview of the Book of Mormon. That's story number two. All right, what's story number three? Chapter 13 and 14 is story number three. Now, I'm going to be very specific, and you'll see why in a minute. Columbus, Revolutionary War. Okay, this is U.S. I'm going to be... And I'd, I love, if I were teaching in Russia, I would probably present this different, but I'm not. I'm teaching in the United States. 
So story number three is our story today. Now, do you see what God's doing? This is brilliant teaching. And Joseph was 23 years old. Are you kidding me? So find the tree. Now, the Lord throws in a hint once in a while. He doesn't give all five. He, sometimes, he gives a couple here and he gives a couple there. But the idea is, do, are you smart enough to see what the Lord's doing? And can you find all five? Now, for the sake of time, let's focus on tree building and mist. We could do rod and river, but let's focus on tree building and mist. What was the tree in the New Testament? What was the manifest? What was the greatest manifestation of God's love in the New Testament? The birth of Christ. I don't think you appreciate that. That God, the eternal father, fathered a child with a mortal woman so that you could be saved. That's a condescent. That's a, what's the word? Conden, condescension. What is it? Condescension. That's a condescension. An infinite, eternal, resurrected being fathered a child with a mortal woman so you could be saved. Isn't that the greatest evidence that he loves you? That he wants to save you? He's not against you. He wants to save you. That's the tree. The birth of Christ. Greatest evidence in the New Testament that God intends to save us. All right. We're studying New Testament this year. What's the building? What did the Jews want instead of the tree of life? Jesus was sitting in front of them and they didn't want him. They wanted something else instead. You've studied in the New Testament. Tell me what we might call, this is what I call Pharisee blindness. What is it that they want? Keep going. What do you mean? So they took the law of Moses, blew it out of proportion, and then did what with it? Neener, 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 we're better than you. Tell me what their building was. Pride in what form? We're important. Identity. False identity is what the Jews wanted. Their kingdom was ripped away from them. Their king was ripped away. They didn't have a king anymore. They didn't have a temple anymore. They've lost their temple ordinances. And they want to be back to the glory that they once held. When Jesus does miracles, what do they want him to be? We want you to be the king. They want the glory of Israel. But they wanted a false identity. That was their building. What was their mist? Jesus was sitting in front of them and they could not see him. Because why? Okay, that's a reason for it. But what was the blind? I know their lack of faith is a blinder, but what was the blinder? Meaning, what were they expecting? 
What kind of Messiah were they wanting? In other words, Pharisee blindness is when Jesus turns out to be a Messiah you're not expecting. What are you going to do when Jesus doesn't answer your prayers? How many people have walked away from God, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because it's not what they expected? If this is Jesus' church, then what should it be? And when it's not perfect, what do they do? And there's the blinder. There's the same blinder. They were blind to the fact that he wasn't what they wanted him to be. That's Pharisee blindness. Now, we could spend an eternity talking about that, but we won't. Let's move on to this story. You know the Book of Mormon. Well, where is the tree in the Book of Mormon? How do you know? How do the people of the Book of Mormon know that God loved them? The visit of Christ. That visit of Christ said what? We are not cast off. We are remembered. He cares. He came. That's how God showed his love to the Nephites and the Lamanites, right? Okay, building. How about we split it, Nephites and Lamanites? What did the Lamanites want? What did Laman want? You have robbed me of the leadership. I'm in charge, not you. You're the younger brother. What do the Lamanites always want? They want to control the Nephites. They want power over them. They want revenge. So what blinded them? What blinded the Lamanites? Why couldn't the Lamanites see that the truth is over there? Anger and hatred. That is a very, very powerful blinder. They were so angry they couldn't see that the truth was over there. All right, how about Nephites? What was the building to the Nephites? What did they want? When they go astray, when the Nephites are going astray, what is it that they want? They want a more fancy stuff. And what was their blindness? When the Nephites are wicked, why can't they see that they're wicked? Every single time. We could walk through the Book of Mormon and every time they go astray, what do they say about themselves? We don't need God. When they are learned, they think they're wise because they hearken not unto the counsels of God, supposing that they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness and that profiteth that. Nephite blindness is when you don't think you need God. Now, isn't that the story of the Book of Mormon? All of those, the tree, the, the building, and the mist. Okay, isn't this fun? Isn't this great teaching? Isn't it amazing what the Lord is doing? Now let's get to our day. Let's get to our story. Can you find the tree? All right. Now we're going <laughs> to... Look at the pre-missionary nailing it. Let's read it. Okay. Third Nephi, or First Nephi chapter th uh, 13. I am going to bring up this version.
All right, First Nephi 13. Okay. Sorry, I got to turn the cooler back on. Why it turns off, I don't know. All right, so he sees the formation of a great and abominable church among the Gentiles. Jump down to verse 12. I saw a man among the Gentiles, separated from the seed of my brethren by the many waters, and I beheld the Spirit of the Lord came down and wrought upon the man, and he went forth upon a water, and even to the seed of my brethren who are on the promised land. Obviously who? Christopher Columbus. Columbus coming to America. It came to pass that I saw other Gentiles. And they went forth out of captivity upon the many waters. What do we call these guys? Pilgrims. And they come to America and they establish. Now, verse 17, tell me what he's seen in verse 17. I beheld that their mother Gentiles were gathered together upon the waters and upon the land to battle against them. What's he seeing? Revolutionary, Revolutionary war. And who does he see win against all odds? He sees the Gentile. God was with them and they were delivered by the power of God. Now, so he's established the setting. He's talking about America, isn't he? And then he sees in the hands of the colonists a book. And he asks Nephi, do you know what that book is? Or Nephi says, what's the book? He describes it. There's only one book this could be. There's only one possible book. The book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews and contains the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made upon the house of Israel and containeth many of the prophecies of the holy prophets, like unto the gravings which are on the plates of brass, save there are not so many. There's only one question. There's no question what that book is. What book does he see in the hands of the colonists? The Bible. And then, when thou, thou hast beheld the book, proceedeth forth from the mouth of a Jew. And when it proceeded from the mouth of the Jew, it contained what? The fullness of the gospel. It went forth in purity. And then what happened? Verse 26. Someone read. Anyone want to read? And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of the great and abominable church, which is the most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which were plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. Now, what do you think Nephi, what do you think Nephi did when he saw them crucifying Jesus? Because of their blindness, what does he say? Can you imagine the frustration to watch Jesus be killed? What do you think Nephi said when he watched his, his, his brother's descendants kill his descendants? Is he freaking out? And now, one more time, what's Nephi doing when he watches them strip the Bible of plain and precious truths? What are you doing? Why are you? And the loss of plain and... Ready? Ready for the dilemma? The loss of plain and precious truths is going to do what? Blind and... Do you see it? Those are the exact words used to describe one of those five. Many plain and precious things have been taken away. Now, if you're Nephi, what are you saying? What are you doing? Are you kidding me? And the Lord's the whole time saying what? 
I got you covered, Nephi. Let me tell you what my plan is. The Lord will not suffer the Gentiles to forever stay, stay in that awful sense of blindness. Let me tell you what my plan is. Ready? What was his plan? 30, 35. I will manifest myself unto your seed, Nephi. And they're going to write it. And when it comes forth, it will restore the plain and precious truths. So Nephi sees the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. And the Lord says, these last records which thou hast seen among the Gentiles shall establish the truth of the first. If you read biblical scholarship, the, the Book of Mormon is proving the Bible to be true. And shall make known the plain and precious things that have been taken away. And shall make known to all kindred tongues and people that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father, the Savior of all the world. Okay, ready? The hair on the back of your neck is about to stand up. What is the tree in our day? What is the greatest manifestation of God's love today? The restoration. How do you know definitively that God hasn't given up on us? That he intends to save his children? What is the greatest manifestation of God's love today? What is the tree in this story? The restoration. Now, what is the blinder? What is the, blind, what is the mist of darkness today? The loss of plain and precious truths. She's about to discover how bad it is. How blind people are because of the loss of plain and precious truths. Everyone is blind to truth because of the loss of plain and precious truths. They are blind. Now, do you see the dilemma? What is the solution to their blindness? What would help everyone recover their sight and not be blind anymore? The Book of Mormon, right? It would restore the lost plain and precious truths. So why don't they just go out and grab the Book of Mormon? Because their blinders do what? Their blinders blind them to the solution. The world is blind to the solution to their blindness. The Lord says, here's the solution. This will take your blinders off. This will get you through the blinders. Just grab the Book of Mormon. And they're doing what? Grab what? Grab what? Oh, it frustrates me. You're going to walk into a home and say, hey, I have the truth here. And they're going to say, that's not the truth. Because they're blind by lost, plain and precious truths. Do you see the Book of Mormon's greatest dilemma? It is the solution to modern day blindness. But it can't cure them because they're blind to the solution. 
So it's quite the dilemma. Now, what is the solution? Let me show you a fun little pattern. Let me show you a fun little pattern. Let's use, let's start with Nephi. First Nephi chapter 11. What stirred Nephi up? Verse 1. What stirred Nephi up? It came to pass that I had desired to know the things that my father had seen. Turn to Enos. Enos chapter 1. Someone read verse 1. Enos chapter 1 verse 1. Who will read it for me? What stirred up Enos? Maybe even jump to verse 3. Please read read 1 and 3. Now, verse 3. Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forests, and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. Stripling warriors. Who did it for the stripling warriors? Their mothers. Alma the younger in agony did what? He remembered what his father said. Do you see the solution to the dilemma? The world needs someone that they can trust. The world needs a temporary rod to hold on to. And then they can grab the real rod. And almost every single time, what is the temporary rod that leads people out of the blindness enough to grab the real rod and then get to the tree themselves. It's not the gospel. It's a person. It's a person they learn to love. It's Ammon with Lamoni. Aaron goes in preaching and how's that work? Ammon goes, Aaron goes in and says, here's the freaking rod, you idiots. Pick it up and be healed. And they do what? You're out of here. Aaron go, or Ammon goes in and says what? Let me love you and serve you and, te- and be kind to you. I think one of the most profound lines of Scripture in the Book of Mormon about the dilemma and how to overcome it is Alma chapter, turn to Alma, 20, Alma 17, 29. What does Ammon say as soon as he sees that they're scattering the flock? Alma 17, Alma 17, 29. What does Alma say? He had an opportunity to do what? That I might. Keep going. Or the power which is in me in restoring these flocks unto the king. That I might. Uh, win the hearts of these, my fellow servants. Why? Why should we win their hearts? Keep going. 
When will people believe our words? When we win their hearts. So tell me what the Book of Mormon needs. The only way they'll ever be healed by the Book of Mormon, the only way they'll come to the tree with the Book of Mormon is if someone wins their heart and leads them to the tree themselves. So God sent the Book of Mormon to earth, but there's no way that would have worked without what? You. Do you see the invitation? I love the book. But before we study the book, we have to accept the invitation. I will be a temporary rod to help you see truth. And then you'll have a rod for yourself. Who was your rod that led you to truth? Enough to discover the real rod and get to the tree yourself. A parent, a missionary. What is she going to do for 18 months? For 18 months, she's going to win over their hearts so that they believe her words, pick up the rod, and get to the tree themselves. Do you see the partnership? Do you think, if I, I'm going to speak of the Book of Mormon as a living, breathing entity. Do you think the Book of Mormon understands the partnership and is pleading with us to do our part? Be the rod. Now, I think Joseph Smith caught that very powerfully. When Joseph Smith wrote the lectures on faith, he concluded the whole lecture too on where does, revel where does faith come from? How is faith born? Let's go to lectures on faith. Lecture two, the last verse of lecture two. I'll blow it up. We have now clearly set forth how it is and how it was that God became an object of faith for rational beings and also upon what foundation the testimony was based, which excited the inquiry and diligent search of the ancient saints to seek after and obtain a knowledge of the glory of God. And we have seen that it was what? What was the temporary rod that allowed them to search for God and receive him? It was human testimony and human testimony only that excited the, this inquiry in the first instance in their minds. It was the credence they gave to the testimony of their fathers, their parents, their friends, the missionaries. It was the credence they gave to some other person. This testimony having aroused their minds to inquire after the knowledge of God and the inquiry. So what you did to them, the excitement that you got them to feel, that inquiry frequently terminated, indeed always terminated when rightly pursued in the most glorious discoveries and eternal certainties. 
I know the truth because I'm holding on to a rod, but I never would have discovered that rod had it not been for someone in my life that led me to that rod. The world is blind to the very solution to their blindness. And you, you are the answer. Book of Mormon, you, we can do this. Book of Mormon, without you, will never succeed. You, without the Book of Mormon, will never succeed. Do you see the partnership? So I propose that this now become a lifetime commitment. I will live my life in such a way that everyone who knows me will be led to the real rod. I commit to be a temporary rod. Let me win their hearts so that they believe my words, reach out to him, and then have a rod for them to hold on to for the rest of their lives. Before we jump into its pages, commit. I'm in. You can count on me. To be that, to be the Ammon for all the Lamonis out there. To not be the Aaron's, but to be the Ammon's for the Lamonis. Who brings up religion? Who brings up religion between Lamoni and Ammon? Lamoni. He asks what question? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? We have been a rod when the world says what to us? Who are you? What do you have? I want it. I leave you with my testimony. With all my soul, I testify that the greatest evidence that God has not forgotten us, has not abandoned us, and intends to save his children. The greatest manifestation of God's love in our day collectively is the restoration. Let's go spread that news. I declare it to you. Now you go de declare it to the world. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This has been class number one, The Invitation and the Dilemma. Join us next week as we begin to look at topic number one, Jesus in the Book of Mormon. Music